0: we Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and recovery.com, provided by Ohio Means Jobs Summit in Medina Counties, recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs Summit in Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Lee Shannon, and uh, you're about to listen to our very, very special episode, it's our 51st, describes a little bit about what it was like for me when I first came into a treatment facility. That was actually eight years to the day that I recorded this episode, eight years. It was to change the trajectory of my recovery and my life. That's up
1: next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks, right now.
0: Hey everybody, it's Mark Lee Shannon and I'm your host of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And today, is a very special day to me. You see, it was eight years ago today, June 2nd, 2014, that I entered a detox facility to begin my journey towards sobriety. And if you don't know me, you should know that I am a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. Also, I struggle with some mental health issues. Those are co-occurring disorders, I like to use those descriptors today instead of calling myself an alcoholic or an addict, because that's not really who I am anymore, it's who I was. Now, of course, being mindful that all of me will somehow remember that some of me is still that person. But I like to look forward and I like to self-describe in a positive way, which is I am a person in recovery. But it was eight years ago on this day that I entered a detox facility. What was going on at that time? My life was unraveling. The week before, which was Memorial Day weekend, I had for the very first time in my life ever missed a gig as a musician. I'd like to say it was because I had injured myself or maybe because I had the flu and couldn't play or maybe something happened on the way to the gig, but no. No, that was none of that. What it was, in fact, what it truly was, was I was drunk. I couldn't make it. Of course, I called off. (laughs) As I say that, I remember I didn't call off. I had somebody else call me off, like a school kid, afraid to go to school. Made a lie, made an excuse, and I don't think any of my bandmates believed it. But that act
2: of stepping away from my life, again,
0: sent me in the following days down a deep dark road. And uh, everyone around me didn't know what to do about it. I understand now that there was some talk among my friends, my close friends, and my children about what what are we going to do with dad? Well, I called a person finally on the morning of June 2nd at their urgings to take me somewhere to detox, to help me. And this is a person I've spoken of in previous podcasts and articles that I've written, especially in my upcoming book called Sober Chronicles. And in the Devil's Strip Magazine, which is a local arts and community magazine where I published many of those monthly essays. This person came over to me and she said, look, if you wanna die, I'm out. But if you wanna live, I'll take you to detox. I'm told that it took me several minutes to make that decision to live, but I did. And she gathered me up and put me in the car and took me to Akron General. And thankfully there, a doctor, a very kind doctor found a bed for me at St. Thomas Hospital. I remember the kiss on my forehead telling me I was gonna be okay. And I remember the next thing is that uh, I took (laughs) what I like to call a $600 cab ride. It was actually an ambulance ride. What I remember about that ambulance ride over to detox is they were giving me drugs to settle me down. The two drivers were joking about me being an old guy, another old drunk they were taking. I don't think they could tell I could hear, but I could hear every single word they were saying. It was humiliating. It was not the end of the journey that was going to happen for the next week. So what was happening in my life at that time? Well, I had a corporate job. It was, you know, Mr. Fancy Pants with the cool office, the cool car, the cool glasses, the cool suit, the cool shoes, the stacked agenda, the great business card. I had it all, big paychecks, everything. But you know, it wasn't my authentic life at that point in time. My durability had worn through. And I want to say that one more time. My simple durability. To continue the pace of 22 years of traveling at least two weeks a month in high-pressure sales and marketing positions with monthly deadlines, sometimes in the millions of dollars. And at one point, a downstream staff of indirect and direct reports of hundreds, it just wore me down. On top of all that, I was a type 2 diabetic. So my body had been beaten up in a lot of ways my durability just worn down like an old set of tires surely and certainly they were gonna pop and that following week after i missed the very first gig in my life ever all my tires deflated but for now i was in detox what i remember about that was that the first day i was in a total haze That haze was all about the phenobarbital they were giving me. see, because what happens to your brain when you stop putting in the chemicals is it just doesn't know what to do. Seizures are possible. So they give you the pheno. The second day I was there, I remember I was able to not mess myself. Now, I would use a different descriptor, an expletive, but I think everybody listening to this podcast knows what I'm talking about. I couldn't contain my bodily
2: functions. Humility. Embarrassment
0: shame. On the third day I was able to get up and go to the, the little meetings and gatherings they had on the floor on the ward. And you know, it was there I started hearing messages of hope that you could get better. It was there I, I felt a sense that I was not alone
2: for the first time. I thought maybe maybe I could get well. Around the fourth day, I was feeling better by that time.
0: I actually could get up and move. Now, mind you, up to this point, there were waves of realization. What have I done? You know, some of the anticipatory anxiety that I would have in the months to come. What am I going to do about my job? How am I going to make a living? I got payments. What am I going to tell people? What am I, how am I going to, what was going to, what's going to happen? What's going to happen could have been written in a felt pen on the forehead above my eyebrows. I was terribly frightened. But I went to the meetings on the ward and there was a message of hope. There was a message of, you're not alone. There was a message of, hey, you know, maybe you're not a bad person. Maybe you're a person with a medical and mental health issue that needs to get well. And for the very first time, I started realizing that maybe I wasn't a bad guy. Maybe I wasn't a total failure, loser. Maybe I was just a sick person that needed attention, medical attention. In the coming months, There was a record that I loved very much. The gentleman who made the record is Jason Isbell. The record is Southeastern, and there's a song called Cover Me Up. Now, of course, on this podcast, I can't play that music. But I urge you to listen to that song, Cover Me Up.
2: Cover me up. A heart on the run. Doesn't trust anyone. Listen to the lyrics. That was my life at the time. On about the fourth or fifth day,
0: something happened to me. Something I don't talk about that much, especially outside of the recovery community because it kind of sounds,
2: I don't know. Maybe a little
0: fabricated to some people. If you don't have a root or a belief in spiritual beliefs, then this can seem really strange to you. I grew up with 12 years of Catholic education, and I, I'm probably one of the few people I know that is an ex-Catholic that's not pissed about it. I'm not. I don't talk about God very much on this podcast, but I, I think Jesus was a badass. if you really listen to his teachings. And I hope to have more podcasts in the future that focus on the spiritual aspect of recovery. But something happened to me on the fourth or fifth night And I want to share it here with our listeners. So take it for what you think it is, because I still don't understand it. But it was to set me on a different trajectory with my life and my recovery.
2: So it was late one night, probably again on Thursday or
0: Friday of that week. When I was on the ward and it was quiet and I was talking to another person, And somehow
2: I found the words to comfort this person.
0: I don't know where they came from, but I said the right things. You know, sometimes when you get out of the way, the right stuff comes through when you don't overthink. So at the end of this conversation, clearly this person felt well. I felt well. And we gave a hug to each other and I walked them back to their room. And they looked at me and they said, Mark, Thank you. Thank you. Talking to you tonight really helped me. You really helped me. So I made my way back to the ward and you know they they turn off the TVs in the detox ward around midnight. Send us back to our rooms with clocks in them that don't tick. Even though I heard the ticking and that's a different story. I had illusions of sounds that were constantly coming to me. Music I was hearing the clock ticking on the wall. It was just part of that first week while I was trying to get my brain to start working again. Well, I headed back to the ward and I sat in one of those (laughs) kind of ugly chairs.
2: And then it happened. Something happened. And I know you're not going to, or maybe you might,
0: or maybe you're going to think I'm crazy. Maybe I was. But I had a sense of a voice. I don't know if I heard the voice, but I had a sense of a voice. And that voice very clearly said to me You know, you never could get sober because you never did anything to help anyone else.
2: And if you change that, your life will change. Maybe it was a higher power. Maybe. It was a higher sense of self, my conscience.
0: I I don't know what what that voice was, but you know, I sat there in silence with myself for a moment and I, I made a commitment. And that commitment was, if I could find a way to stay sober for a year, then I would find a way to come back into that same detox ward and tell people what I did. While we were there, we had a lot of speakers. Some of them were 12-steppers, some of them were actually kind of weird. Remember, there was a husband-wife team that did the good cop, bad cop thing with us in our recovery, trying to guilt us and shame us into it. There were some old timers with the finger pointing. There were some kind people. There was a group of people that could barely speak English from some sort of seminary that came to, to talk about their experience with finding God in recovery. And they really couldn't speak English, but we knew what everybody was talking about in the room. It was weird sometimes. And sometimes it was joyous. And sometimes it was comforting and kind and honest, but the angels of mercy that operate the detox wards, those angels, they saved me. They saved me. You know what? I think this is a good spot
1: for us to take a little break. So we'll be right back after this. Our lives are not lived sequentially. After all, we're not a DVR. We have lives that take us in multiple directions and sometimes absorbing our favorite podcasts are done sporadically and out of sync. We might have large amounts of time to listen and get caught up on episodes. And other times, life in general just, you know, gets in the way. But here's the thing. Every guest, every topic, every journey from the darkness into the light has been and will be captured and preserved at recoverytalks.org. Miss an episode? No, you didn't. Every one of them is safely stored and kept in one place, designed to be listened to whenever life allows it. Recovery Talks, the podcast at recoverytalks.org. So the day
0: finally came for me when I had to leave. And of course, before I left, at the urgings of some of the hospital staff, anyone leaving a detox ward is, is asked to consider two things.
2: Number one, will you get treatment?
0: And there's two ways to go. And the first way is IOP, which is intensive outpatient. And that's really where you go for partial hospital during the day or at night, depending on your life. And that continues for a while. And the second option that you get is to be inpatient. And if you go inpatient, that means, you know, maybe you've been to that parade of IOP or you've been to that treatment or you've been to those other ways of doing it. The third thing that you can do is nothing. And to be frank with you, that's a lot of people's choices. You see, I'll just go back home, and you know, my husband, my family, whatever said that they'll take all the alcohol out of the house. We, or I'm not going to do drugs anymore with that person. They're out of my life, or, or you know, I got this. I, I, ha, ha, ha. I can tell you that doing nothing is the sure way to get no results. So I went into an IOP program, and I met a tough old bird. She was another angel in my life. And she convinced me that I wasn't a bad person. That I was a person that needed medical and mental health treatment. Game changer. So I got out of detox. Oh gosh, I guess it was on or around June 10th. Because the next weekend was Founders Day. And you know, something else
2: happened. This was the second episode of what happened
0: to me. Is there a higher power? Is there a higher sense? I don't know. But that week later after I got out, I went to Founder's Day and I found myself in the chapel at St. Thomas Hospital. You know, I went into that chapel and I sat down to say some thoughts and prayers. And I found myself alone in the chapel. And for the first time staring up at the Statue of Mary, I just broke
2: down. I cried out a prayer that said, please help me. I can't go on like this. And at that moment, I broke into tears. The kind of deep crying that I had not done maybe ever in my life. I think I sobbed for a few moments
0: when all of a sudden there was a touch on my right shoulder. And there was a sweet, kind lady there with a box of tissues. And she just
2: looked at me and said, oh, you poor thing.
0: And she patted me on the shoulder and gave me the box of tissues. I took two or three tissues and wiped my eyes, took a deep breath and turned to see her and to thank her.
2: And there was no one there. Now I don't know how to explain that. Did she leave? Did she somehow sit out of my sight? I don't know what happened there. But I can tell you there was
0: a feeling that came over me that I I was going to be okay. You know I don't tell you these stories lightly because sometimes people think you're crazy, Mark Lee Shannon. <laughs> yeah. At that moment,
2: I certainly was crazy. I certainly was. So I started on my journey to recovery. And that first summer, man, I went back to work out in July, I was a total mess. My head didn't work. I couldn't think, I couldn't remember things. I was told it was cognitive memory disorder.
0: And you know what happened to me? I relapsed. I'd like to be able to tell the listeners on this podcast that my sobriety date was June 2nd when I went into that detox ward, but it's not. It's November 10th, 2014. And if you wanna do the math, you can tell that it was several months before it finally worked for me. What I was not aware of was the concept that my counselor would hit me to. The concept of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So as I was trying to get my brain to work again, I was dealing with what was called post-acute withdrawal symptoms. I'm looking at this article that I printed off, and it describes what pause is. And it says, Many of the problems associated with early sobriety do not stem directly from drugs and alcohol. Instead, they are associated with physical and psychological changes that occur after the chemicals have left the body. When alcoholics or addicts use, their brains actually undergo a physical change to cope with the presence of the drug in the body. When the drugs are removed, The brain then demands more of those to satisfy the desire caused by the changes. This creates extreme symptoms, and they're often experienced immediately after using has stopped. When you stop, of course, it's called acute withdrawal.
2: So acute withdrawal is unfortunately not the whole story.
0: My body was making adjustments to the absence of the drugs. Even though I was starting to feel better in some ways. Those changes from not having the drugs in my body meant that my brain needed time to get back to its original state. I mean, to the extent it could. I was experiencing post acute withdrawal syndrome. You know, all addicts and alcoholics suffer from the damage to their bodies and nervous systems from drug and alcohol use. You know, sometimes it's even from crashing your car or malnutrition. They also suffer from chronic diseases such as diabetes or hepatitis or whatever. Anyway, when you stop using, you can really bring to the front door a broad array of other problems. Recovery causes a great deal of stress. Many alcoholics and addicts never learn to manage that stress without alcohol or drug use. And man, I was in the middle of stress, back to work, corporate boy. Fancy suit, new responsibilities for a company that was very demanding. The ability for me to deal with all this depended on my willingness to take care of myself and maintain a healthy physical, emotional, and spiritual lifestyle. I was told later that repairing the damage to the nervous system usually requires about six months, sometimes up to two years for a healthy program of recovery. Post Acute
2: Withdrawal Syndrome is really at the center of most relapses. And I was gonna relapse, I relapsed over and again. It seemed every six weeks, every six weeks. Finally,
0: on November 9th, 2014, I had my last night. And I remember I was supposed to go on a trip the next morning
2: for business to New York. And I remember
0: sitting up all night in my upstairs bedroom prison, drinking terrible wine, smoking cigarettes and sitting by the window,
2: barely sleeping. I remember being picked up to go on that trip by my friend.
0: And I remember, My dog, Martin, knowing that there was something wrong, as I put my suitcase in the trunk, he jumped in the trunk with me because he knew. He knew I was in trouble. What he didn't know is daddy had had his last drink. November 9th, 2014 was the last time to this day that I'd had a drink. over the course of the next year, and maybe I'll address it in future podcasts. I had a lot of symptoms from post-acute withdrawal. Memory problems, oh, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I remember being under a stressful situation at the end of the month, and it was in sales, I had a big number, right? And I remember calling an assistant and saying, hey, this, this, this. And she said to me, Mr. Shannon, I'll answer that question for you. But are you aware you just called me 20 minutes ago to ask that question? I hadn't remembered that I just made that call. My brain didn't process it. Some of the other stuff that I went through in that first six months was emotional overreaction or just numbness. You know, People with emotional problems in early sobriety tend to overreact. A lot of people who know me tell me, (laughs) you don't need to be sober to overreact, buddy. It just puts more stress on my nervous
2: system. And sometimes I just shut down. Sleep. Oh, my goodness. Sleeping was a problem for me
0: then. I think I could do a whole podcast on sleep and what ended up there. But you know that next summer, it was Southeastern. Southeastern. The summer of 2015, because you know a lot of things happened in my first six months of sobriety. Corporate America told me not to show up anymore and they stopped paying me. Yeah, I got fired. And I can remember calling somebody and almost being relieved that I was fired. I had a little bit of a severance and I could get my stuff together. But that next summer was very difficult for me. That first year, those first few miles, those first months. They tell me that disturbed sleep is a pretty common symptom in recovery. It may last only a short time, or you know what? It could even last a lifetime. You know, it, it's really for me now about the way I approach sleep. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't do so much. But there was a lot of issues for me
2: stress, maintaining abstinence. Understanding and recognizing these pause symptoms.
0: People ask me, Mark, what did you do? And I want to end this podcast by saying, there's three things that I know. There's three things that I know work for me. And when I'm talking to other people who share my, my common ailment, I say, you know, I can't tell you what to do.
2: I can only tell you what I think, and here's what I've learned about staying sober. Number one, just for today, do what you got to do,
0: and whatever that is, you got to do to not use. Whether it's calling people or whether it's going to a meeting or exercising, yoga conversations. Don't. Use the second thing that I like to tell people is you got to join a tribe. I like—I'm a musician, so I—I I say get in a band, and that band's got to be sober people. It's a joke, I know, but what I mean is you got to hang around the badasses. When I was a young guitar player, all I wanted to do was hang out with the cats that had the Les Pauls and the Marshall amps, actually no Fender amps, and you know they had the gigs and the vans and the practice spaces and the cool effects and the people that hung around, and it was like I needed to be around those cats who could play. Sobriety is the same thing, the exact same thing. you got to find the badasses and you got to hang with them.
2: And step three, step three is probably the most emotional for me. It's the most important too. And that is once you get it, give it away,
0: help other people. You know, there's a lot of ways you can help people if you're in recovery, and if you're out of, re- you're not even in recovery. Maybe you're around it. One of the things I suggest to people is if you know someone that's in recovery that's struggling, just hang out with them, sit with them, hold space. Don't tell them what to think or what to do. Just hold their hand, and nod, and listen. So as I end this podcast, I just want to tell people I know three things in my life
2: today. Exactly eight years. If you'd have told me I'd make it eight years, I would have been against you. But how I did it was three things. Number one, don't use today. Number two, join a band. Find other
0: people around you that want what you want and join them. And number three, you got to play out. (laughs) You got to help other people. Helping people is a game changer to me. You know, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. It's our 51st, and again, if you'd have told me we'd be doing 50 of these podcasts when we started in that months after the pandemic began, I would have (laughs) have probably told you, man, you crazy, you know, but somehow we made it one day at a time. One day at a time. There's a quote that I'd like to end with, and it's by a very well known American musician, and it's really about creative work, but it can be adapted to anything. And she says, there's no secret, no shortcut. Once you accept that being a creator of anything, is just really hard. And it takes a lot of hours of slogging through crappy first drafts. You just keep going producing and then you turn around and look back. And there's the magic. It's what Bruce Springsteen calls the magic trick. There is no sobriety magic trick except the three things I'm talking about. Don't use.
2: Join a band and play out. Until our next podcast,
0: I just want to give a heartfelt and sincere thank you and express my sincere gratitude for all of you who have listened along the way and been so encouraging. We all have to stay connected. Somehow, find a way to stay standing and just lean forward and just go on Steady on. Thank you for listening.